Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go to have those aha moments and those mastermind encounters that bring you ever so much closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And depending on where we go, sometimes you may hear a little ambience in the background. Today, we're coming to you from the sitting area of my high-tech office, in other words, my living room couch, here in beautiful Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. And what we're going to be discussing today is how to plan for your business's financial future. One of the big things that gets often left out of the conversation of how to grow your business, how to scale your business. Believe it or not, this level of planning that we're going to be discussing today is something that is so rarely brought up, which is why I'm so excited to be able to bring it to you today. Among other things, we're going to discover how to keep more of your equity compensation so that you can support the people you love and care about the most. And to guide us down this path, we have with us Aaron Cohen, or excuse me, Aaron Rubin. Aaron Rubin, I'm so excited about uh, this um, uh, juxtaposing here. So Aaron Rubin, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Is an attorney, a CPA, and a CFP, which means Certified Financial Planner. Aaron runs a wealth management practice that integrates tax, financial planning, and investing. And in his work, he helps his client minimize their tax liability and keep more of their equity compensation so they can support the people they love and the causes they care most. Whether it's in Silicon Valley, Austin, or the Tech Triangle, he works with pre-IPO executives and early employees at late state tech companies. Do not be intimidated by some of the terminology you're already hearing. We're going to define all these terms. And when you come away from this, you're going to have yourself a much greater understanding of how this works. One more thing about Aaron before we introduce him is he's published his first book, Financial Adulting. It came out in 2019. And it's a guide that helps young professionals navigate tax, investment, and estate planning. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife, three daughters, two golden doodles, and five chickens. Wow, that's an array. So Aaron Rubin, come on in. The weather's fine. Oh my gosh, it's hot out here. I'm glad I brought my sunscreen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, you've, you've really great AC, great AC and I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So I read off a piece of your bio. There's so much more to it, but just the part that I shared is so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to uh, be in your presence and this is my show. So what we like to do before we dive in, I know we have some terms to define and some concepts to share, is in your own words, tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, graduated uh, 
with uh, with a degree in accounting, he eventually became a CPA. Uh, worked in in, in tax firms uh, for several years, and um, joined my firm currently in uh, 2009. And uh, we were sort of that one one amorphous wealth management group. Um, you know, kind of anyone you know who had you know a pulse and you know a few hundred thousand dollars um, was a good fit for us. And yeah. um, and and as I was kind of continuing on my journey, you know, as I was talking to people um, about what I do, uh, I realized how uncompelling uh, it was, and that you know I wasn't really even convincing myself uh, that I should use me, and okay. um, and 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 I just everything just sort of fell flat. And, and I was always looking for sort of that next angle. And, um, and yeah, again, I was sort of, and I was doing okay. I mean, I was, I was doing fine, but um, financially speaking and, and kind of growing the business, but again, just, just wasn't, wasn't energized um, by, by really what I was doing. And, uh, and so we, we ended up merging with another practice, um, you know, probably about five years ago. And shortly after we merged, um, Zoom actually went public. And all of a sudden, we had a bunch of Zoom clients come in because we had a connection with a, an attorney that had worked with a bunch of Zoom clients. And, and we realized they had a lot of unique needs. Uh, they had, um, uh, with, with their stock conversation, they had a lot of tax need. They had the planning. I mean, it was, it was really interesting, and we could do a lot of good. And um, I walked inside my partner's office um, probably a, a, a month or two after that, the Zoom IPO, and we, we sat down and I said, you know, we do this really, really well. You know, we're really good at this. Let's do this. And, uh, and from then on, uh, you know, my whole, you know, meaning of, of existence has been to help people in that pre-IPO situation. And, and I found that when I talked to people about it, I was energized. I mean, they, they, my, my, my passion was palatable, I think, to a lot of people. And it spoke to people. And it, it just became you know, uh, an awakening for me that, that, that narrow focus, you know, just made sense. Yeah. That's, that's really a profound story. And I hear this, I've been through this. I went through a three-year period where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I didn't know what business to promote. I didn't know how to brand myself. All I had for three years was this podcast we're on right now, the Business Creators Radio Show. This was my networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. So I had even less of a frame than you did on what it was that would energize me and what it was that would motivate me. I think it's a pretty common journey that folks go through. And in a way, I think it kind of ties to what you are going to share with us today when it comes to this whole thing of planning for your business financial future. You know how they say you need to be able to see a target to hit it? Well, without a plan for a financial future, and this is part of what put me in that place where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up because I didn't really have any plan beyond make it to the next month. And that's not viable in either the short or the long term. So we're going to get into that. Uh, Before we do so, there are a few things we want to define, as I mentioned to uh, you and our listeners. There's a couple terms that we've already mentioned. I just want to make sure people understand them. Now, part of what you do, Aaron, is you work with your clients to minimize their tax liability and keep more of their equity compensation. What does that mean, equity compensation? So equity compensation is any sort of 
um, I'll, I'll use, I don't like use compensation because it's, a, it's in the definition, but uh, it's a remuneration uh, based upon the, either the performance of a stock um, or, um, or, or of a company or uh, of an actual ownership interest in a company. So is that like a shareholder distribution? Uh, think about it uh, more like a stock option uh, okay. type type of situation, or um, or maybe you're just granted stock because you were um, an early investor or uh, or maybe an early employee. Right. So for example, so for example, if you are the managing partner or the owning partner of your corporation, this is part of how you get compensated based on the equity of the company, its performance, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you started the company way back when, chances are, you know, you and several other people kind of went in together and you you distributed out shares to one another based upon either how much you'd contributed uh, financially or, or what you were contribute, um, you know, via sweat equity. Uh, and, uh, and, and it could be, it could have been hundreds of thousands, millions of shares because, you know, when you start companies up, you know, you, um, you know, you, you plan for, you know, distributing many shares, uh, and, um, or, or it could be, you know, you join the firm, you know, a couple of years later and, you know, you, you have a hundred thousand, 200,000 shares, um, or maybe you have the right to exercise, um, shares and buy them later. Perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the next thing. I want to make sure we understand is pre-IPO. Now, I believe that means pre-initial public offering, and this has to do with taking your company public to a stock exchange. Yeah, that, that's right. So what before a company um, is traded on a stock exchange, uh, it, it's considered pre-IPO, meaning that uh, the shares are generally uh, illiquid and the valuation of that company is not determined by the market necessarily, um, although there are market forces involved. Uh, but oftentimes there is an appraiser that comes in that tells people what the value of the company is um, for when they go and exercise uh, those shares. Um, again, the whole idea is that pre-IPO, um, you know, that's that's a great time to get into the company because that's when you get the shares for cheaper. Because uh, once, once the company goes IPO, it's usually several multiples uh, of whatever you acquired the shares previously for. So any company that's not publicly traded is considered pre-IPO? Yeah, it. I mean, it, it is, but you know, your your law firm down the street, you know, it it's never going to become public. Um, but you know, obviously, certain firms are targeting um, to become publicly traded or become of the size that I mean, it could be that they're acquired, right? The you know, when, when you're a company that's not publicly traded, or even when you are coming publicly traded, there's lots of ways to exit, um, and and it, whether it's acquisition or IPO or SPAC or direct listing. Um, there's lots of different ways um, for that to happen. But again, not, not all companies are intended to scale um, to, to, that, to that level, right? It's like you're, you're, the lumber yard down the street, while it could be very profitable, um, is never going to be a public traded company. Oh, okay. Uh, damn, there, there goes my hopes. I guess we're pretty much done now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so I'd like to ask you a series of questions, and these are kind of broad in scope, but I think they may help define our terms in our conversation. So since we're on the topic of IPOs and pre-IPOs, what are some of the worst mistakes you've seen as far as initial public offerings and uh, taxation strategies that go along with those? So I, I think on the individual side, um, the worst mistakes that I see are, are not planning for the tax that comes along with buying the stock, right? Most people think, oh, I'm going to be taxed when I sell the stock, which is 
which is true. But oftentimes there are tax consequences to buying stock um, in a stock option scenario. And a lot of people don't recognize that, or if they do recognize that, they think, oh, it's, it'll just show up in my W-2 and you know they'll withhold for it, so no big deal. And that isn't necessarily the way it happens, and oftentimes it isn't. Uh, and so people, you know, I'll talk to you know, prospective clients and um, and they'll say, hey, yeah, I just, I, I have uh, 50,000 shares of, you know, this company, uh, great, you know, and I just exercised it, you know, last month. Oh, okay. So, you know, you, you put the, ta- the tax aside and then, you know, the answer is the what? <laughs> the tax, you know, the part the government wants uh, and, you know, having to tell them, hey, by the way, you need to make sure you have $50,000 by next April to, to pay this tax. Um, and, and again, People, people get surprised by that. Uh, and, and on the IPO side, you know, if, if we're talking from a company perspective, um, sort of the, the worst decision that, that I've seen has probably been Uber. Uh, if, if, if you follow the news on Uber's IPO, um, when it happened was probably a few years ago at this point, um, they, uh, they chose to accelerate the vesting of the restricted stock units of their employees. And so as of the date of the IPO, they... Um, they had all these shares vest for their employees, which, which jacked up their W-2 income by a lot. And um, the one thing you need to know and what your listeners should know is that if you have RSUs and, and you have a big vesting, um, you know, what happens is RSUs are, are generally withheld for at a supplemental tax rate. That's usually about 25%. Now, your tax rate can be well above that, but the most they're going to withhold is 25% until you get a million dollars. Of, of supplemental income, and then they'll withhold the top rate. But again, it's, um, you know, Uber, Uber did that. So they, they taxed all of their employees and they sold shares on their behalf to cover that tax, a lot of which was at 25%. And then subsequently the stock price went down. And then by the time the, the employees could sell additional shares to cover the tax, the price had sunk um, significantly. And so a lot of Uber employees were pretty ticked off um, that all of a sudden they had a huge tax bills and they had to sell their stock at, at a much lower level than they were intending to. So again, that was, that was pretty brutal. Um, yeah. As well. well, I remember that. And I think we're talking about, about maybe about five years ago, give or take. And there was speculation that Uber actually wasn't even going to make it. Yeah. Well, Lyft, Lyft had come out uh, a few months earlier, I think, and, and they'd beaten Uber to the punch and, um, and Lyft had lifted. And I, I don't think Lyft had a great time either, but, um, you know, certainly, you know, being second is, <laughs> is sort of never a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. So, uh, so in terms of investment decisions overall, what are some of the best and the worst you've seen? Yeah. So, so for my clients, you know, the, the best, I think, were the people that I talked to at Coinbase. Um, which is, have been in the root, have, has been in the news way too often uh, these last uh, couple of years, a uh, couple of years, a couple of months, uh, and uh, and some real fundamental problems there. And a lot of the Coinbase employees sort of saw the writing on the wall. Um, every employee I talked to at Coinbase, their plan was to sell as many shares as they could as soon as the opening bell rang, uh, and and that has proven to be a phenomenal decision. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and again, it's, it's really hard with an IPO uh, or in, in, uh, in Coinbase's case, they actually did a direct listing. They didn't do an IPO. Um, but it's always tough um, to, to take this equity compensation and, and 
and just sell all of it because again, there's that fear of missing out, um, which really paralyzes a lot of people out there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I've seen that fear of missing out cause people to do things that have set them back pretty significantly. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, and, and again, there's, and, and the problem is, is that there's always that one or two stories um, or, or one or two companies that, you know, just, you know, for instance, Apple, right. That you're, I'm in Silicon Valley. So there's tons of Apple people floating around here and, you know, the, the, the Apple employee, uh, there's one that, uh, that said that he had his uh, million dollar Honda Civic because he had sold Apple shares to buy his, you know, $25,000, $30,000 car. And then, you know, eight years later, that's, then those number of shares would have been worth a million dollars. Um, so, you know, that, that, that fear of missing out can be quite strong, especially when you put in anecdotal evidence. Um, but, you know, the, the truth is, is the vast majority of companies pre-IPO don't make it. And even companies that go IPO over, over the first five or so years of their existence, they generally underperform the marketplace and, and or the peers um, in that marketplace. Um, so, but, so you're, you're almost, almost always better off selling sooner rather than later on, on an IPO stock, but not always. And, and certainly there are lots of exceptions. Sure. Sure. What would be a few of the exceptions? Uh, well, you know, Facebook's an interesting one because it came out uh, in the forties. It dropped down to the twenties, the first several months uh, that they were out. And then, um, and of course they ended up, you know, bouncing back, you know, huge after that. And then, uh, and then of course they had the, the big run up in 20, they were part of the Fang companies, right? Fang, Fang M companies. Uh, so, I mean, they, they had, they had a really, you know, great ride afterwards. Um, so even though they sort of underperformed the first six months, they ended up, you know, really bouncing back um, pretty hard. Uh, and, um, Trying to think of other companies that have sort of had a, had a really good um, bounce uh, out the gate and kept it up. Again, it's it's, it's tough. Um, Zoom, Zoom, obviously, you know, it was out the first couple of years and it was kind of floating around fifty dollars a share, and then then the pandemic came, <laughs> and yeah. then you know the Zoom shares you know went crazy, uh, and uh, and then of course it, it's has come back down to earth uh, somewhat, but. Um, again, lots, lots of stories of, of companies that, you know, they, I, I had one client, they, within the first six months, the company went 5X um, after IPO. And then, uh, and now it's trading probably at under 50% of its IPO um, several years later. So again, you're talking about a really volatile part of the market. And so when, when people have these companies that are doing IPO, you know, what we try to tell them is, you know, you know, maybe, maybe this company makes it big and, you know, it's, it's going to, you're going to, you know, be able to, you know, live the rest of your life and your, and your kids can live their life their lives and their grandkids, you know, very, very comfortably, but, you know, let's secure, let's secure you first, you know, let's think about, you know, what you need first and, and make sure that we have the money we need set aside after that, if you want to take risk on it, go ahead. Um, you know, so like the, like the Coinbase clients, you know, that we talked about, you know, a lot, the one that, one of them that I've been working with sold 80, 85% of his shares, um, you know, and, and set himself for life. Um, and then, uh, and the rest of it, he decided to take a risk on, it didn't pan out. That's okay. He set for life. So again, no, no, uh, no loss there. Right, 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 right. So uh, what are, if somebody is 
looking to consider an IPO, for example, or somebody's in a pre-IPO status, uh, when should they get an advisor involved? So a lot of, I'll say, you know, for for tax purposes, um, definitely sooner rather than later. Um, So, you know, again, even if if you're in that seed run, if you're an entrepreneur and you're just, you're starting out and you're thinking, hey, I want to, my goal with this company is to, you know, really scale it, you know, whether whether it's on, on a, if it's a SaaS model or if it's a, uh, even a manufacturing model, I want to scale this thing and, um, and see where I can take it. Talking to a tax person ahead of time is definitely in your, in your best interest. And, you know, part of it is, is how you set up the entity itself and how you set up all these different compensation plans. You know, one of the things that, that I, I've always sort of scratched my head at um, has been um, companies which are which are just starting out again they could they're probably in the a round or maybe they're they're seed round companies uh, and they have these stock plans you know incentive stock plans or or um, non-qualified stock plans and they don't allow for early exercise and early exercise is such a powerful tool um, not just for the founders but for all the employees going forward um, that I, I never understood you know, why they, why they didn't use it more often. Um, and, and how many times I've talked with clients, you know, and said, okay, well, you've just gotten this, you know, you know, significant stock grant from this company. Hey, why don't you go see if, you know, you can early exercise this, save yourself some money down the line. And, and I almost every time I'm told, oh no, we're not allowed to early exercise. And I just, I, I don't know if that's a planning mistake or just, you know, I, I don't want to call it, I mean, laziness isn't the right way to, probably isn't the right term, but, you know, just not thinking through, you know, that, that process. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so what investments do you recommend to people who don't have an advisor? And again, at this point, we're just kind of going through some of the things you asked us to cover in the green room. Yeah. So the, um, the, what I usually recommend to people, I think it depends on, on what kind of account they have, right? If you're, if you're sitting on an, on an IRA account a retirement account, you know, that you've had from either your 401k or maybe you're putting your money into your SEP IRA um, if you're a small business owner. You know, you, you know, sticking with, you know, your tried and true, your vanguards of the world, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, it's, it's diversified, it's cheap, you know, it's sort of what you want. Um, once you get to putting money into a taxable account, so one, you know, people will call it their nest egg account or, or where you get taxed on the dividends and the capital gains. Um, you want to be a little more cognizant um, of the types of platforms you're using. Um, so a lot of times, you know, instead of using a mutual fund, it may make sense to use an ETF, um, which has some better tax um, ramifications to it. Once you have m- more of a critical mass in your account, you know, what, what we do for our clients is we often put them into um, a tax loss harvesting uh, type of arrangement where uh, and the market goes up and the market goes down. There's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is, as the market's going down, you can sell some of the, the losers that you have and, um, you know, replace them with, you know, stocks that act in somewhat similar ways. Um, and you can take those capital losses and you can use them against your capital gains. Um, and you can increase your after-tax rate of return by doing that. Uh, and there, there are, if you don't have an advisor, you know, not, you know, not all is lost. Um, you know, you can go to outfits like Wealthfront. Uh, Wealthfront does 
does the tax loss harvesting, but you just got to make sure you're using the individual stock portfolios they offer. And there's, there's minimums associated with that. I think it's 500,000. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm sure there, there are others that offer it as well. What you don't want to do is if, if you, if you, if you have a substantial, you know, we'll say over 500,000, over a million, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, use the, the mutual fund holdings they have because they do have tax loss harvesting for their mutual funds. It's much less powerful, excuse me, and, and less compelling. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So uh, this is something that I think is a message that will be very helpful to some of our listeners, particularly in times of uncertainty and when there are so many questions and so few answers. I had the chance to check out your website at wrpwealth.com, which I encourage all of our listeners to take a look at. And I was going through some of your insights, and you have an interesting analogy there. And for our listeners, if you could share some of this, you compared stock options to avocados. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, and, and the, the whole goal in, of having avocados, unless you like avocado toast, is really to make guacamole. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you, the, the whole idea is that, you know, you, you have a tree of full of fruit. In this case, it's avocado. Um, and, you know, you need to know what to do with it. And you want to try to hold on to as much as you can with the whole idea is that, Again, you're going to make guacamole, uh, and and if you if you give too many of your avocados to the government <laughs> via taxes, um, you know you're 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 not going to have as much um, that, that to, to to have that to have that eventual guacamole, um, and um, and so again in in that way, you know you need to you need to sort of cultivate them. You need to you know you need to think about the future. You can't you know when you when you go to the store. Um, and, and again, I'm in the West coast. So like avocados are totally a thing, especially in yeah. California. Um, you know, you, you go to the store and you, know, you, you, you feel, so you feel around, right. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and, you, and you're trying to plan out, well, wait a second. I need, I need, I want the guacamole in, you know, in, in five days. So I'm going to, I need to pick a really hard avocado or, Hey, I, I'm having a party night. Like in, 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 in that sense, um, you know, when you have these stock options, you, know, you have to think about how are we planning, you know, for the future um, in that. Um, and um, and again, it's it's important to think through those decisions before you head to the store, uh, because if you just randomly just sort of, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make guacamole. Here are some avocados. You're gonna be very disappointed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I. I uh... I follow that. So, uh, so overall, uh, I guess my question would be, uh, and you know, at this point, I'd like to just sort of open the floor to you. Is uh, we, uh, I guess, we get close to wrapping up here. Is let's say that uh, you have somebody who is starting in business, uh, whether it's a side hustle, whether it's a new entrepreneurial venture and what have you. Now, certainly in all these cases, they will be, and I use the air quotes, pre-IPO naturally. Uh, But when it comes to planning for your business's financial future, with so much information out there, how can you, Aaron Rubin, disambiguate some of this and give our listeners, because we do have a lot of folks who tune into this thing who are in startup phase what can they, what do they need to be thinking about now? What do they need to get clarity on now so that 
they have a plan for their financial future. And it's a little bit more than just finding a way to survive to the next month. Yeah. I, you, you gotta take the long-term picture. Like what, what are you really trying to accomplish out there? Is, is your goal to be the, the best regional firm of, and again, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, what it would be, you know, you want to be the best, you know, as we said, lumberyard, or, or, or do you want to, do you want to be a SaaS software company that's going to be acquired um, by a different company? Um, think about the direction you're trying to head in um, before you actually, you know, you know, get, try to start asking for money, especially, you know, pre-seed, you know, you're going to use friends and family. They may give you some cash, but you know, when you want to get serious, um, you know, and, and raise that seed round, um, you know, you better have a vision um, and you better have, you know, a knowledge of metrics that you need to hit to get to that next level. Um, so I, th- I think that's first and foremost, you got to, you got to have vision <clears throat> and on what the, what the eventual exit strategy is going to be, right? I'd, there's you know, lots of people who you know, have said you, you have the end in mind. Um, and, and that's you know, definitely true. Um, once you have that end in mind, um, you, know, you, can, you can plan accordingly. And, and if the end in mind is we want to be you know, the biggest player in the, um, and pick, pick your SaaS category you know, in, the, in the database you know, information system. You know, or again, once, once you have that goal, then all of a sudden you, you know, all right, the whole point of this thing, this whole point of, of what we're doing right now is to eventually be public in some way, whether it's SPAC or direct listing or IPO. Once you, once you get there, you need to design your plans like that's where you're going to be. Um, and to me, that means you know, having um, early exercise in place. Um, it means being a C-Corp so that you can start taking advantage of um, of, of qualified small business stock rules um, and, and thinking through those decisions ahead of time. Because, you know, if, if, if all of a sudden you, you're, you start as an LLC and you don't really, you know, become a C-Corp until, you know, a year or two before you, you end up making that um, being, being acquired or, or maybe even going IPO. Um, if, if you wait too long, you're not going to be able to get some of those benefits, um, you know, that, you, that you're going to want. So again, thinking with the end in mind, super important, and then planning accordingly, like you are that big firm um, before you actually become the big firm. Right, right. Okay, well, that's that's certainly fantastic. And I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. This was great. And again, I would encourage everybody to visit the website for Werber, Werber Rubin Papier, which is wrpwealth.com. And when you go there, you're going to discover a lot more about pre-IPO and financial planning services. And if this is something that as you listen in, you find yourself leaning in and wanting to discover more of, among the things you can find there are help with IPO stock options, tax planning, financial planning, investment management, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can see some of the clients that they've worked with, which is very impressive. Again, another one of those things is so impressive. I'm not sure more of you to be here. And this is my show, as I like to say. And outside of that, I have really enjoyed our conversation today. So Aaron Rubin, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. 
Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.